Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. 2020 got us so down that it can be hard to see any good ahead. But there are better days to come. And even if we can't imagine a bright future, God can. This could be our best year ever. So look up. There's good news for 2021. So glad you guys are here today. I hope you've already been touched by the Holy Spirit like I have. And I really appreciate DJ and the band singing really the verse that we're going to be talking about this week and the next week. Uh, I tried to sit down <laughs> during that song and I have to get up because I, I just can't sit down with that kind of wonderful news. So for the next two weeks in our lookup series, I'm going to be talking about Bible prophecy about the end times, which is kind of a misnomer because for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, we're not getting ready for the end. We're getting ready for the beginning. We're going to get ready for life the way it was meant to be. Now, all my life, and I'm 64, all my life I've heard preachers, including myself, talk about signs of the times and the return of Jesus. And we should understand that this is not just a theme that's gotten attention in the last hundred years. This was a common theme going back to the book of Acts. Basically, the church started with the ascension of Jesus Christ and the day of Pentecost. But in the book of Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended into the heavens, you remember the angel said to the disciples, the same Jesus that just went up is coming back just like he went down. And so this was a common theme throughout the book of Acts. In the early church, if you go back to, let's just say the first 50, 60, 100 years of the early church, they didn't greet each other with hello or goodbye. <laughs> Think about this, you know, like you, you come to church, you've had a bad week, people would greet each other with Maranatha which is an Aramaic word that means Jesus is coming. So, I mean, that's, that's how you greet each other at church. Jesus is coming. When somebody, if you'll allow the anachronism, it, when somebody's getting ready in their car to leave and you're waving at them in the parking lot, you'd wave and say, Maranatha, Jesus is coming. So this was a really, really common theme 2,000 years ago. But in our lifetime, I really believe if the coming of Jesus was message one in the early church, as close as we are, we need to be talking about it all the time. And the reason I know we're in the last days is the one thing that had to happen, and I'm talking about it with biblical prophecy, the one thing that had to happen in order for the last days to begin has already happened. Most of us were not even born yet, but in 1948, Israel became a nation. Now, that could just be a fact of geopolitics for some of us, but the reality is for 2,500 years, God had been saying that in the latter times, Israel would come back into the nation and they would reform. So in 1948, that happened. Jerusalem is always the linchpin of Bible prophecy. I was around for this one. I was 10 years old. In 1967, the nation of Israel got back the city of Jerusalem in the Six-Day War. I really think that 2017 is another important date because in 2017, the United States of America, which, by the way, was the first nation to recognize Israel in 1948. God bless Harry Truman for that. Um, 
in, 19, in 2017, United States was the first nation to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. I had the privilege last year of standing at the uh, new embassy of the United States and, and the picture there, Goliath Katz, who is the consul general for the nation of Israel in the Southwest, is standing there with me. And I just remember standing there at that moment thinking, wow, this is the Bible coming true in my lifetime. So for all those things to happen in the last 72 years, it was obvious that we're basically there. We're in the zone. That's the reason why uh, in, in our lifetime, many of us, there were seminal um, publications that begin to reach out into the broader community, even the non-religious community, to indicate that we are in the zone of the last days. In 1970, there was a best-selling book, earth-shaking book, by a guy named Hal Lindsey called Late Great Planet Earth, and it just spelled it out. And it got huge traction, especially given the times and that it was only three years after the Six-Day War. Uh, let's move forward a little bit in time. There was a, a, a book series written by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins called um, um, Left Behind series. And so a lot of you read that, and a lot of people that weren't even God followers read that. What was really interesting is Hollywood got into it, and there are a number of movies about the Antichrist. I mean, not right now, but when you go home, and I'm not recommending you watch these movies, but you can just Google movies about the Antichrist. There was actually a series of movies about the Antichrist. So here is the thing, with all of that having happened in the last 50, 60, 70 years, where are we in 2021? Here's how I see it. I, as I said a moment ago, I've heard preachers preach about the coming of the Lord. I've preached about the coming of the Lord in my lifetime. I've, I've known that we were in the zone, but I didn't know how close we were. I think about it like a flight into Wichita. I, I spend a lot of time flying to speak back and forth. And so you know what it's like for those of you who fly a lot when you're flying home, whether you're coming from Dallas or Atlanta or Seattle, wherever. You know, when, when you're mid, you know, especially if you're flying from Dallas to Wichita, about halfway through, you'll feel the nose tilt down a little bit. And a little while later, the captain will come on and say, we've begun our initial descent into Wichita. And then there's that moment where the flight attendants go back through the cabin, make sure everybody's seat backs are up and the tray tables are stowed. And, you know, they're collecting trash one more time. And then, you know, there's that moment when you're outside of Wichita by, you know, 10, 10 miles or so, and you can look out your window and you can see the city, kind of the footprint, you can see it taking shape. And then there's that moment when you're flying across Kellogg and you can recognize the buildings. That's where I think we are right now. I've always been a little bit of a skeptic when it came to prophecy. I've heard preachers predict things, and I didn't, I didn't, think, I didn't think they knew the, knew the answers to that. And, and for those of you who've you know, been here at New Spring through the years, and some of you have been here you know, five years, 10 years, 25, 30 years, 35 years, and you've listened to me speak, you know I don't get out in front of my skis. I don't get out in front of my headlights and start preaching stuff that I don't know. And I've always had just a little bit of skepticism in regard to preachers preaching about prophecy, doing that, getting out in front of their skis. But I got to tell you this, as, as much as I'm, I tend to be slow on this, I really feel like we're at the place right now where I can look out the window crossing Kellogg and say, I know, I know which hotel that is. Because what's happening right now makes me feel like we are very close to the coming of the Lord. Now, our series is called Look Up. And each week in this series, I've given you what I would call a look up verse in the Bible. Today, we're going to get to perhaps the biggest one of all, and it comes from Jesus himself. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verse 28, Jesus said, Now when these things begin to occur, look up and lift up your heads, 
because your redemption, you just heard DJ sing it, because your redemption, your deliverance is drawing near. Now I'll get right back to that, look up verse in just a moment, but we need a little backstory. Jesus is preaching on the subject of the prophecy about his return. We don't have a whole lot of sermons of Jesus recorded for us in the Bible. The most notable among them would be the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Jesus' Sermon on the Holy Spirit that he delivered to his disciples in John 14, 15, and 16. But a major sermon that Jesus delivered that's recorded for us, at least in the Synoptic Gospels, is what we call the Olivet Discourse. And what Jesus is doing, he's preaching in response to a question, maybe a couple of questions that his disciples asked. And here we go. Here's the backstory. The disciples came to him privately. Tell us, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? I'm not sure the disciples realized that they had asked Jesus two questions. I think they saw the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord, as a single moment in time. But what we know from other books of the Bible, from the book of Daniel, Revelation, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, and a lot of other books in the Bible, what we understand is that it's not a single moment in time when Jesus returns. It's a season. It's a seven-year season. He comes once at the beginning of that season. For us, we might, you know, if you grew up in church, you might have heard that term called the rapture. I call it the evacuation. And then there's a seven-year time of catastrophe on the world, which thankfully we're not going to be here for. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. And then at the end of the tribulation, he comes back at Armageddon to set up his thousand-year kingdom. So I don't think the disciples recognized that season. I think they just thought it was a single moment in time. But in any event, Jesus launched into a sermon about the signs that would let people know when the season of his return is close. Now, I got to tell you what really excites me to stand up here and talk to you about this. It was important to the disciples. It was information for them. I really believe it was written to us. I think it's written to us in our generation. So toward the end of that sermon, we get our verse. And I want to go over it again with you one more time. Luke 21, verse 28, Jesus said, now when these things begin to occur, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption, your deliverance is drawing near. It's going to take me two weeks to bring this message. So I'm going to start it today and God willing, I'm going to bring you the second part of it next week. The reason why I'm going to need two weeks to do this is really, if you were reading that verse on, on, the, on the screens, you recognize that there were four parts of this verse that I highlighted. I'm going to cover the first two of them today, the these things and the word begin. Next week, we'll cover the good news, lift up your head, redemption or deliverance is getting close. Now today, it, this message could be just a little bit dark because we're going to be talking about the these things. And frankly, these things are bad. You know, it could have been a surprise to the disciple because they could have thought, well, you know, when Jesus comes back, everything's going to be, it's going to be so sweet. You know, they might have, when they asked Jesus, what are the signs of your coming? They might have thought Jesus was going to say, everybody's going to love each other and get along and, and everybody's going to be friendly. And, but he didn't. Jesus' sermon gives them some of the signs that would be on the earth. Earthquakes. Hey, we're getting acquainted with those here in Wichita. Earthquakes, famines, pandemics, uh-oh. But here's the thing. Jesus' teaching is pretty much for the nation of Israel. The church begins in the book of Acts, and since we're not going into the tribulation, what we see develop in the New Testament is more and more signs about the beginning of the tribulation, the coming of Antichrist, because what we see there is more salient to us in our world today. I think there are things in Jesus' 
uh, Olivet Discourse that are not going to make sense until the middle of the tribulation of people who are going through it. That's when they're going to be able to interpret some of the stuff that Jesus says that I sometimes struggle to figure out. Now, here's one of the most important things I'm going to say. By the way, you do know we're going into Worlds of Warfare 2 behind enemy lines at the beginning of February. Can't wait for that. I don't know how many of you were here for Worlds of Warfare 1, but I said something in those days that is one of the most important things that I'll ever say. And it's amazing as I travel the country, it is amazing how the audiences will sync up with this particular line. I kind of gave it to you the first time off the cuff, but as I travel and I speak, it is amazing. Pastors are writing me saying, Mark, this is so important to say this. Always remember this. This is one of the most important things I'll say. Whether you're a Christ follower or not a Christ follower, if you're not a Christ follower, you need to pay attention because I'm about to tell you which future is. The world is headed directly for the tribulation. We are headed for an evacuation, but right now we're on the same road. And this is why a lot of people who are Christ followers are like, oh, no, 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 because you can see yourself heading directly for the tribulation. But we're going to go right up to it, and then we're, well, we're going to go up at that point. So I just want to make sure that we understand that so that we don't freak out when we see the signs of the tribulation taking shape. So here we go. In this brief message today, do we see the seven-year tribulation taking shape? Can we actually, as I talked about in the metaphor a few moments ago, can we actually recognize the buildings? Well, let's start with what the tribulation is. The tribulation, the seven-year period of the tribulation is God finally allowing Satan to have a global kingdom. Now, Satan has had individual authority over the kingdoms of the world since Adam gave it to him. Just so that you'll understand why Satan has so much power in our world, God gave planet earth management over to Adam and Eve and the human race. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they surrendered management of the world system over to Satan. He has always reigned in the hearts of those who don't know God. And, and here's the thing, because somebody could be saying, well, Mark, I just really don't believe that Satan is the one who's behind all the junk that's happening in our world system. Well, then just take the word of God for it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this age, that Satan has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Somebody could be here today and say, Mark, I don't believe God, don't believe the Bible, I don't understand Christ. I don't get it. I, I know, I know, I know. And we just read why. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, the Bible talks to those of us who are Christ followers about the life that we live before we accepted Jesus. The Bible says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. This is why that in the power centers of our earth, in the influence corridors, you know, Christians are always asking me why. Why media is so uh, biased? Why entertainment is so uh, biased? Why education, not talking about all education, but big education. Why is religion so blatantly biased? And the answer is he controls those systems. We just read it in the Bible. So here's the thing, and this is a really important distinction for me to make. Satan has authority over the world systems. God has authority over the universe. This is not a perfect illustration, but it's the best way I can think of to describe this. Because, see, some of you could be asking the question, well, wait a minute, Mark. I'm a Christ follower, and God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. But at the same time, we're looking at world systems where Satan is in control. Best illustration I can give you. Let's say you own a shopping center. You own every square foot of the shopping center. But somehow you turn a lease over to someone that you love, 
and they turned the lease, their lease over to your worst enemy. So now your worst enemy has a lease on a store when you own the shopping center and you have to abide by the terms of that lease until, until you, you get that lease back from that evil person. Now, here's the thing. You still control what happens in the shopping center, but you got a bad store run by an evil person. Well, that's the way this world system is. God owns the universe, but we've got Satan who has a lease on one of the stores. And thankfully, when Jesus Christ was on the cross, he arranged for completely new management of planet Earth. And we are waiting for that time. But that's why we're in a world right now that seems like it's very disconnected. So... Throughout world history, Satan has had a lease on this earth, and God has restrained him. Now, here's the thing. When the tribulation comes, God's going to lift that restraint. We read about that in the book of 2 Thessalonians. Why did God restrain Satan throughout the history of the world? Well, we'll talk about this sometime, but just to give you a short answer, God had work to do. He wanted a plan of redemption to get that lease back. And so in the Old Testament, he started the nation of Israel and worked through them. In the New Testament, he's working through the church. And when the, time, when the church times out and it's ready for us to go, then God is going to pull back and let Satan have a global kingdom. Um, here's the thing. We've had some indications in smaller uh, kingdoms how this would work. For instance, in Nazi Germany, you, you had a, an idea of a pre-type of the Antichrist. And here's something that's really important for us in 2021. It's getting more important every day. You can always recognize Satan's kingdoms because his MO is control. Can I say this one more time? You can always recognize Satan's kingdoms because he is all about control. This is whether you're talking about drug addiction, false religion, or his last day's kingdom that we see taking shape right before us. God is about liberty. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's liberty. God's always about freedom. Now, there are choices and there are ramifications of those choices, but God's all about freedom. Satan is about control. What is the seminal situation of the tribulation? For those of you who like to study Bible prophecy, you know that when the Antichrist comes to power, Revelation 13 says, he forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he has the mark. Now, I was a kid listening. Preachers used to have the idea that we were talking about um, a tattoo or something like that. Man, we know now. We understand it's electronic. We, we, we get that now. So here's the thing. This, this, what I just shared with you takes us somewhere else. I always wondered when I was a kid, how would Satan get so many diverse governmental systems to surrender sovereignty? And I thought about that. You know, the Chinese have a system of governance. We have a system of governance. Uh, British nations, a lot of others have parliamentary system. How would Satan get all these diverse world governance systems to coalesce into a single kingdom? Well, um, and beyond that, he would have to do it quickly because the tribulation has a very instant beginning point, has a very instant ending point. So if you think about it, when I was a kid, I used to think, how is he going to get all these kingdoms to come together? It would take more than seven years to do that. I, I used to think that it had to be some kind of military takeover. Looking back, I should have known better. Because the Antichrist is going to be very popular when he comes to power, and military dictators are not usually popular with the peoples that they conquer. Now I know the answer. 
Satan did an end run around the empires. He built something bigger than world governments. And what he did was he figured out a way to unite the whole world with instant global communication, instant commerce, and instant messaging. And he got us to surrender privacy and personal information. He figured out a way to train us all to put our financial transactions on it. You have to understand that when the Antichrist comes and sets up his one world single commerce system, it will be as simple as flipping a switch. Governments would be helpless. Constitutions would be irrelevant because these entities are global. They're bigger and we all willingly accept their terms, don't we? You know, we're watching, we're watching a squelching of personal liberties with communication. And I'm hearing Christian, uh, Christians or, or people asking me, how do they have the power to do that? Do you remember when you were setting up these entities and you got that little box to check, do you agree to the terms? Well, that's it. We've all agreed to the terms. Now, I don't want to leave you with the wrong impression because somebody could walk out of here and say, are you saying that these internet behemoths, are you saying that they're the Antichrist? No, no, no. They're systems. They're put together by business people. They're run by business people. I use them. The Antichrist is not here yet. What we do have is we have a platform ready and waiting for the Antichrist. Let me give you an additional thought, because every once in a while, someone will say to me, Mark, do you think that the coronavirus is a conspiracy? Well, I don't have a conspiracy mindset, and I do not believe it is. Because what we've watched happen, I don't think there are any human powers that could have pulled that off. I don't think the Chinese could have done it. I don't think, you know, I don't think Donald Trump did it. I don't think the Democrats did it. I, I, I think Satan is behind the coronavirus. He hates the human race. But there's no doubt about it. We did watch leaders control at a level that we have never imagined, sometimes legitimately so. But here is the thing. The world looks very different than it looked 12 months ago and what we've experienced since that time. Now for, for a moment, let's talk about tech and prophecy. Because this is one of the most interesting things I can possibly talk about. When you read what the Bible forecasts in the book of Revelation 2,000 years ago at a largely agrarian culture, the stuff that Revelation predicts is not possible until our time frame. I, I, I'm just curious. When people read the book of Revelation 300, 500, 900 years ago, how did they interpret stuff that wasn't globally feasible? Well, in our lifetime, because of technology, we fully understand what the writer of Revelation is talking about. Let's talk about this one for a moment. We, 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 meant, we talked about it a moment ago. The Bible says the Antichrist will have some sort of, the word is mark. We know now it's most likely electronic. And notice, no one could buy or sell without that, whatever it is. Now, I used to listen to my dad preach about this when I was a little kid. And as I said, I'm skeptical. And I'm saying to myself, I don't see how that can happen. The world's a very big place. There are all these economies, and there's the gray market and the black market. And I used to say, I don't see how that's possible. We do now. I mean, we're even watching commercial situations where someone has written an unpopular book, and that book is no longer for sale on that entity. So we fully understand it. It's, it but the thing I would get across is it wasn't even feasible until just a few years ago. Let me give you another one. There are several things that happen during the tribulation where the Bible says every eye will see. 
In Revelation chapter 1, the Bible says when Jesus comes, every eye will see him. Well, okay. That would have been only locally possible before the advent of television. So let's just say that begins by invention in 1929, widespread usage in the early 50s. But even then, it would only be available for those who are happening to watch the live broadcast. By the early 70s, mid-70s, we had video recorders in our homes. But even that still doesn't rise to the level of every eye seeing Jesus. Well, we didn't have satellite television until the early 70s, but now there's instant communication all over the planet. I don't think that this, this prophecy of every eye seeing Jesus happens until the smartphone. I don't even think this is possible to 2008, but every eye can see him now. There's another story about two witnesses who will preach during the tribulation period, and they won't be killable. I don't understand that, but that'll be interesting to see how that happens. We'll watch it from heaven, I guess. But they're, they're two preachers, and they can't be killed. And, of course, they're extremely unpopular with the, with the, with the Antichrist empire. But there will be a point when they finish their ministry, and God allows them to be killed. And the Bible says the whole world will watch them for three days as their bodies lie in the street. I would argue again, that's not even feasible till 2008. Isn't that cool? 2,000 years ago, the Apostle John on the island of Patmos wrote about things that were not technologically possible to just a near-term back situation in our life. Let me give you one more. The Bible talks about a last day's single world economy. This is the thing that interests me the most as I'm watching it take shape today. What's interesting about this single world economy is that it begins in a single moment. And in the book of Revelation chapter 18, the Bible says it implodes in one hour. And by the way, the word hour there, you know what it means? It means hour. Now think about that for a moment. You have a universal single economy and it implodes in one hour. Well, that's not even feasible. I mean, first of all, a single world economy is not feasible until the age of the internet. But here's the thing, and I, I, we'll talk about this someday. I find this really interesting. The Antichrist One World Empire is a Ponzi scheme. I can see how in the early days it would appear to be beneficial because you could, you know, you, you could uh, you wipe out identity theft if everybody has a mark and you can't do business, you can't do commerce without the mark. You would, you would wipe out the trillions of dollars lost to identity theft. And then if you had a single world economy, all the nations that have debt, to each other, that would be lost. And so for a little while, until everybody figures out there's nothing backing the economy, it would work, but it's going to fall apart in one hour. And I look at all those things, and I think, could not happen until our time frame. But now I look out the window of my airplane crossing Kellogg, and I recognize the buildings. Now let's talk about where we are right now. And this is where it gets really serious. We can see two very different groups of people heading two totally opposite directions. There are those in our culture who are lining up behind the Antichrist. They are comfortable with the system. They reject God, they reject the Bible, they reject Jesus Christ. They may be in the church, but there is a whole group lining up behind the Antichrist. And for them, wrong is right and right is dangerous. And many are in the church. I don't mean New Spring, but I'm talking about Christianity at large, at least in the United States. Hey, Bible called that one. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, the Bible says that day, the day of God's day of judgment, it will not come until two things happen. First, there will be a time of great rebellion against God, and then the man of rebellion 
will come the son of hell. That's the Antichrist. Now, the word rebellion there, we get our word apostasy from it. It's the Greek word apostasis. Stasis means to stand. Apo, the prefix, means away. And what it simply means is right before Jesus comes back, a lot of people are not going to stand where they used to stand. There were a lot of people who were Christ followers at one time. They stood with the word of God. They stood with the biblical view of sexuality. But because the Antichrist kingdom is warming up, they find themselves more comfortable with that, and they don't stand where they used to stand. And, and the word of God says that's going to happen big time right before Jesus comes back. Why does it happen? Well, one more time, let me go to the word of God to answer the question. The Bible says they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned to have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. This is one of the most chilling things I'll ever teach, and I don't like teaching it, but it's just in the Bible, so I have to. We just read a moment ago where God allows people to have a strong delusion so that they can't believe. Now, does God not want those people in heaven? No, that's not the answer at all. If you read earlier, you saw it with me. They didn't love the truth. You know, we hear a lot about my truth. A lot of people today that love their truth. The Bible says they didn't love the truth. And they chose not to love the truth. And so God said, okay, you want to go this direction? I'm going to give you a shove. I love you so much. And, and there are those who will say, Mark, you don't understand. If you, don't, if you preach like this, you can't be pastor of a mega church. Well, then so be it. The one thing I can't afford is for you to stand before God and not know Jesus Christ and, be, and for God to get ready to push you into hell and you to look at me and say, Mark, you didn't tell me the truth. That I can't take. If you ever listen to a preacher, listen to me. So many times we preach the message of grace that God will forgive any sin. That is true. But here is one place where there's no soft, doughy middle, and that's about the choice that you make. I mean, here's the thing. If you choose for Jesus, you know, you can be like me, flawed, broken messes, but you chose Jesus. You chose him as your Lord and Savior. Do you deserve to go to heaven? No, but you made a choice. What Jesus will not countenance is a soft, doughy, indecisive middle where I decide, well, I kind of like this part of the Antichrist program, but I like this part of hanging with Jesus. I want some hell insurance. That he will not accept. So for those of us who love Jesus and we're waiting for the trumpet, what do we do while we're waiting. Well, the Bible says when, you, when these things begin to happen, lift up your eyes. Well, they're happening. They're beginning. And, and, and you know, oh, gosh, I, I'm out of time. Do you know this is an interesting uh, statement? And you ladies are going to get this. I don't know if you guys will get it or not, but you ladies will get this. The Bible talks about um, the signs of Jesus' return being like contractions right before birth. They get closer and they get more intense, Right? Well, that's what we're seeing, isn't it? So how do, we, how, do we, how do we lift up our eyes? Okay, let me give you two scriptures and I'll be through today. 
Number one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, but you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you're all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness and night. So the Bible says, be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Listen, guys, we're not to be looking around saying, oh, no, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, what we are to be is clear-focused, getting ready for what's about to happen, and lifting up our eyes because we're not going down, we're going up. And now let me give you my favorite. I love the book of Malachi. It is the last book of the Old Testament so that when Jesus came on the earth, their revelation 22 was Malachi chapter four. Oh, do I have just one more moment? Do you know, the, the Bible says, for those of you who believe the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings, and wings there doesn't mean like bird wings, it means like in the fringes of your robe. That's the last thing that the Old Testament Bible said. You remember when the woman had the issue of blood, and she said, if I can just touch the wings of her garment, that was because the last chapter of her Bible told her that Jesus was coming, and he would have, you know, that we may believe, Revelation the way she believed that Jesus was going to be the healer. Okay, that was free. I won't say that in the other services. <laughs> so in Malachi, there were people, there were so-called God followers that weren't serious about following God. And some of them had said, what is the benefit of serving God? Just like people say today sometimes. I love this. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other. Why do they speak with each other? Well, they may have been deplatformed. I don't know. They spoke with each other. In other words, they said, we can't get anybody else to listen to us. We're going to find some other people that believe the truth, and we're going to talk with each other. We're going to encourage each other. Now, I love the next line. And the Lord listened to what they said. I mean, you've got God followers who are saying, well, you know what? I, we can't talk to a lot of people. We can talk to each other. And they talked, and they encouraged each other. And the Lord leaned down from heaven and said, whoa, I like that. I like what she's saying. And in his presence, the Lord said, get out a scroll. A scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of, of his name. Then they will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. I want to be like that. I want to find some other people that believe in the coming of the Lord. And instead of talking about all the stuff that's going on in politics and all that kind of thing, I want to talk to people and say, Maranatha, Jesus is coming. And I'm excited about that. Listen, I'm not worried about the Democrat Party or the Republican Party, and I'm not worried about this stuff going on. I am a Jesus follower. I am a man of God. You are a woman of God. And we're going to talk to each other and encourage each other, and the Lord will listen. When we get to heaven, it's going to be all cool. I, I'm nine minutes in overtime, and I'm so sorry about that. I can't leave this service without giving you a chance to get on board. If you're in that soft, doughy middle, or maybe you've just never heard before, God loves you. God loves you more than you can imagine. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus down the cross to get that lease back. He paid for all your sins. 
And three days later, he arose from the grave. And if you will invite Jesus Christ into your life, you can be forgiven. And you can be flawed, broken. You can be just like me, a total mess. But if you invite Jesus in, you'll be forgiven. And you'll be on that roll of heaven when Jesus comes. You'll go to be with him. We'll talk about that next week. I'd like to get started right now, but that's next week. So here's the thing. If you want to get on board today, it's a simple ask. It's a gift. It won't cost you anything. You can pray with me. I'll pray it slowly. You can pray it with me. Dear God, I am a sinner. Can't save myself. But I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he arose from the grave. And since he's alive, I want to be part of his kingdom. Thank you for hearing my prayer and forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just pray with me, you say, Mark, I'm not sure what happened. I have a gift for you. You can get it at any info center. If you want them to be ready for you when you get there, just text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, PRAYED, the word PRAYED, to 97,000. If you go back, they won't hassle you, bother you. They just want to give this to you. It's a Bible book I wrote that'll answer a lot of questions. Free. It won't cost you anything. You say, Mark, I don't have my phone with me. Just go back and say, I prayed with Mark. They'll give it to you. Thanks. You have a wonderful day. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.